All right. Let's open up to First Timothy chapter three. First Timothy chapter three. First Timothy. We are continuing our series on loving the church. And if we're going to love the church, we have to know what the Bible says the church is so we can accurately uh, see it, perceive it, interact with it, but ultimately we can love it as we know what the church is. Right? First Timothy chapter 3. We've been using this for probably the last month or so as our launch off point. Let's look at verse 14. First Timothy 3.14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct, conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The pillar and foundation of the truth. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for our time together so far in worship. And now as we open your word once again, Lord, we recognize it is your word. We thank you for the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the household of God. And Lord, as we've been studying these last several weeks together, it is the pillar and foundation of truth. So once again, we ask that through the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit that indwells your children, that you would reveal your truth, Lord, that we would hear your truth and ultimately uh, be obedient and doers of your truth. And in that, you would continue to renew us and transform us into the image and likeness of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. All right. Well, yesterday, I went to Ojai Day, right? And, and I know that, that if you're a local here in Ojai, Ojai Day probably resonates with two extremes. You either hunker down and won't leave your house. Okay, that's all of you that just laughed, right? Or some of you will venture out because it's just a great opportunity to kind of be in the community and see old, old friends and everything. And, and uh, yesterday I had an opportunity. I was stopped by here at the church and met my family over there at uh, that food place where they, they have crazy food there. Like what were those, this, this thing of fr- French fries? I mean like the Tower of Fries or something, you know. So we were over there. And as I was walking over there, it, it reminded me so much of what we've been looking at in Acts 17. And you can turn to Acts 17 because that's where we're going to be next. The Apostle Paul, right, in Acts 17, he went to the city of Athens, right? Remember, city of Athens, kind of like Ohio-ish, about 10,000 people, 30,000 idols, right? And in Acts 17, he goes there, and it says that he he reasoned with, he communicated with, he dialogued with uh, the people in the marketplace. And as I was walking through, you know, up and down, uh, oh, hi, the main drag here yesterday. I thought of Paul and that this is probably like Athens. Paul would have been over at Libby, probably around the fountain or wherever he would, and just started up conversations and would have been dialoguing with people in a, in a setting very similar to Ohio Day. And I shared with you last Sunday, you know, Paul started his, his when he first got to Athens, the Bible says he was kind of burdened. And, and, I, and I chose to go to Ojai Day, and as I was walking around, I was like, Lord, I just want to pray for these people. I just want to pray. You know, sometimes it, as the church, right, sometimes we have to choose to be a little uncomfortable. Sometimes we have to choose to kind of get out of our comfort zone. And if you haven't been to Ojai Day in a while, next year, I encourage you to intentionally go. Go and just 
be around the people. Go and be around the people and, and be a little uncomfortable, but recognize this is where you're planted. This is where we, you know, as, as uh, one of our dear friends at the Continuing Care Center says, bloom where you're planted. Well, we're planted here. And, and oh, hi day for me gave me a little snapshot of the city. You know, of course, there's a lot of visitors that come in and all that. But I had the opportunity. I ran into some people that I haven't seen in a long time. I ran into someone that I married a few years ago, several years ago. Haven't seen them. And so sometimes you can go to Ojai Day just to get a sense, to be in the mix again, to be in the mix of our community. Or you can also go and say, Lord, if I'm supposed to meet somebody, if I'm supposed to run into somebody, you know one of those, anyone ever have a chance meeting? Anybody here because of a chance meeting? Huh? Yeah, <laughs> right? Right? Daryl and Betty, right? Some of you are here because you had a chance meeting and somebody shared with you what was happening at OVCF. Right? And so I thought of that. And, and, and Paul in Acts 17, you can kind of turn there, right? He's in Athens. And he walks in. And last Sunday, we saw that he walks in and there's about 30,000 idols. And, and, and it's a place where, where, you know, there's Epicureans and Stoics, all the religions, all these philosophies. In fact, the Bible says all they would do in Athens was sit around and just, hey, did you hear the latest? Hey, did you hear the latest? Hey, did you hear the latest? It was just all, everything was welcome, very, you know, postmodern. We've been talking about postmodernism, right? What is postmodernism in our culture today? A truth is, is subjective, right? Biblically, we saw that truth is really has to line up with the character, the will, the nature of God. We saw that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth. God's Word is what? Truth. The world says... All truth is relative. Right? All truth is relative. Right? And in fact, the world has kind of flipped it. It doesn't matter if truth corresponds to reality, to the world. What really matters to the world is taste, preference, opinion, political correctness. And so we live in this, in this time, very strategic time as a church, where biblically... We see, we see God is truth. We see His Word is truth. Truth is objective. It's, it's apart from us. God reveals His truth. And when we gather on Sundays, we're to hear His truth. And then we leave here and we go into a world that says, hey, it's all relative. In fact, they have brought that into the world of, of their view of religions. Right? And I shared that with you last Sunday. I got this book. I shared with you. There's 50, 50 different faiths or religions. And the world says, hey, that's okay, because it's all relative, right? And, and I use this example that some of you resonated with several weeks ago. You know, you have the blocks versus the star, starburst, right? And I asked some of you, how many blocks are in here? And there's a definite answer. There's a right answer, right? There's a right answer. Then I passed out starburst. And some of you picked different colors, right? And I asked... Which color is right? And you're like, what do you mean which color is right? Because it's the wrong question. You can't ask that because starburst and your particular flavor is a matter of preference. It's a matter of taste. This has a right and wrong. The world that we live in says, hey, all you religions, you're like starburst. Religion is just like starburst. It's taste, preference. Right? Right? This is what happens when this sits on my desk, by the way. It was about here. And I've noticed that some of you 
there's a path on my carpet now because some of you, you took one and now you know where they are. But the world says, hey, you 50 plus, it's all about Starburst. You're all good to go. doesn't matter. It's all relative. It's all subjective. What really matters is if it's true to you. We say as Christians, now Christianity, our faith, it's a matter of history. Because the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, remember? He says, hey, if the resurrection didn't happen, game's starting in 10 minutes. Let's head home. If the resurrection didn't happen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sin. See, the Christianity isn't subjective. It's based on historical. It's what we call historicity of Jesus, historicity of His resurrection. We believe in the timeline of earth, the resurrection really happened. In fact, what I love about the Bible is it's so straight up that the Apostle Paul says, if it didn't happen, you're going to be pitied. So our faith is not based on our taste or our preference or our faith is based on the objective truth that in the timeline of earth, the resurrection actually happened. First Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, if it didn't, guys, go home. We're just as lost as everybody else still. Right? And why is that important to know this? Because it's important to know it for your own sake and your own security and your own confidence in your walk with the Lord, but it's also important to know it when you go out of here and you go into a world that... that Oh, no. Why do you have to be so intolerant? Why are you guys so narrow? Why can't just everything sit? And why can't it just all be, you know, what we like and preference and taste? Why do you have to point fingers? Because there's this law, and I share this with you, it's the law of non-contradiction. It's very powerful. And we're going to spend some time in it in the weeks ahead. There's a thing called the law of non-contradiction. It's a law. A logical law, a rational law that says two contradictory statements cannot be equally true or valid. You guys understand that? The law of non-contradiction. We believe Jesus is God. Okay? Islam doesn't. He's a prophet. We believe Jesus is Messiah. Judaism doesn't. So just in these three monotheistic religions, the three biggies, right? Christianity, Islam, and Judaism... There's contradictory statements, contradictory beliefs. Jesus is God or he's not God. They can't both sit there equally valid. Jesus is Messiah or he's not Messiah. They can't sit there equally valid. That's what the world says, though. So there's this, there's this, this law of non-contradiction where you have to land somewhere because two contradictory statements cannot be equally true or valid. So we say Jesus is God. Amen? Jesus is Messiah. Amen? Now, we saw that we don't go out there and browbeat people. We don't go out there and, you know, just be angry. And No, it says, 1 Peter 3 said, be, be prepared to give an answer with what? Gentleness and, gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Right? And so we saw the Apostle Paul. He comes into Athens. And then in verse, let's look at verse 24, right? He begins to share in front of their council, right? Kind of like the Supreme Court of Athens. Verse 24, Acts 17, right? The Apostle Paul begins. They say, hey, why don't you come talk to the Supreme Court? We're really interested in what you have to say. Verse 24, this is, how he, this is what he says. This is what Paul would say over at Libby Park yesterday. He says, hey, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth 
and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like God or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. So here's the thing. Here's, here's, here's kind of the example. And kind of the, I love this because Paul simplifies this. Hey, if you're going to go interact with the world, you don't have to get into all these little debates. You don't have to know everything about postmodernism. In fact, what does Paul do? He says, hey, let me just start by telling you who God is. That's what he does. In verse 24 to about verse 29, 30, he says, the very first thing he says, God created everything. He's sovereign. He doesn't, he's he's apart from us. He rules everything. Okay? He's not made of an image. It's not idolatry. He says, this is who God is. He's all-powerful, all-sufficient creator. He's creator. We are created. He just starts right off with biblical truth about the nature and character of God. Okay? Why is that important? Because look what he says in verse 30. In the past, God overlooked. It means he just, he bore with, right? In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he what? He commands all people everywhere to repent. So Paul says this, hey, there's a God. You have this, you have this idol called the unknown God. Let me tell you about him. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's creator. He's sovereign. He rules this world. This God commands everyone to do what? Repent. And the word repent simply means I'm going this way, and I make a 180-degree turn, and I start following Jesus. That's all repent means, right? Why is that important? Because when you and I go out and we dialogue with the world, it is all about God. We share God's truth and we simply point people to what God's Word says. Amen? That's the example that Paul is setting. There's a God and He's so far beyond us and He has commanded us to do something. Repent. And then he goes into, he refers to Jesus and the resurrection. So, we speak God's truth. We focus on Jesus. We focus on the resurrection. Right? Because it's all about what God says. Not necessarily my opinion. Right? I love this verse. There's a verse. Let's turn to 2 Timothy. Now, here's the thing. This understanding of objective truth and God's Word being truth, very important when we interact with the world and very important to our own life. Because we have to understand the source is who? God. Not us, right? Look at Second Timothy chapter four. The Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy. 
He says, in the presence of God, verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. What did it say in verse 2? Preach what? The word. It's very important that the word is in there. He doesn't just say preach. We are to preach very specifically something. And that something is what according to that verse? The Word. We're not to preach my opinion. I'm not to give you up here on Sunday, I'm not to preach my speculations. I'm not to give you my advice. Okay? Very important. We, as pastors, but also we as the body of Christ, we're called to preach the Word. The Word. It's very important. Because that's where a lot of people have slid off. They're no longer preaching the Word. They sort of start with the Word, then they slide into their opinion of the Word. You see the difference? You see the difference? The Word picture here is a herald. Someone that the king would say, Hey, come here, herald. H-E-R-A, not H-A, right? Herald. Someone who would gather the city of Ojai. Hey, hey go, down to, go down to Libby Park and call the whole city of Ojai together. Yes, king. And king, the king says, This is exactly what you're to say. So the herald gathers all the kings, and you know they ring the bell here. Everyone comes. The herald comes, and he says, "This is what the king says," and he must say it exactly, or he dies. And he must say it exactly, whether it's popular or not. That's the job of the herald. The people understand that what the herald is saying is coming from the king, so they're to hear it and heed it. Get it? Question. What's a sermon? What's a sermon? Because I asked someone that yesterday, and they said, oh, that's when the, the, the pastor goes up on stage and talks about God. What's a sermon? Because there's sermon notes. You guys pretty regularly, some of you for decades, have heard sermons. What's a sermon? Everyone's looking at Doris. <laughs> Doris, help us out. What is a sermon, Doris? Go ahead, Candy. I'm sorry. Passing the Word of God. Okay. Thank you, Candy. What? Message. It's God's authority, right? Uh, Veronica, great. Message from who? Are you sure? I'm being the herald. It's very important. Because how many have ever used the phrase, I heard a great sermon? How many have ever left church saying, that was a good sermon? How many have left church saying, I could hardly stay awake during that sermon? That was a doozy. That was a snoozer. Y'all have, yeah. How did he know? I see you. I see you. And God bless you for trying so hard. But man, I know when Saturday night was must have been a long Saturday. I should have got a donut during break, you know. A sermon, very important. You got to define it. What is it, right? Because how you define a sermon will impact what you do when you leave here with that sermon. 
Okay, it might vary. And then that's why the Bible says there were the Bereans who searched out. You're responsible to search out what I say to make sure it's in line with God's truth. And I'm going to give you permission. If I ever willfully, willfully, willfully turn from God's truth, start preaching my opinion and my speculation, kick me out of here. <laughs> yeah, and you're up next in the hot seat. Preach the word. Preach the word. That is heavy. I just shared with the guys this morning. That is so heavy. Heavy. It's heavy for me, but then it's also heavy for us as believers because if it's the word, there now becomes a responsibility on us. Right? Turn to uh, Thessalonians. I think it's First Thessalonians. Powerful verse, guys. You're going to go left to the next set of books. One set. So it goes Thessalonians and Timothy. So First Thessalonians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, he's just like kind of praising the church at the city called Thessalonica, which is kind of a, a, a commerce economic hub on a very important trade route, right? Kind of this sprawling, kind of like a Los Angeles, like this hub, right? There's a church, the Thessalonians, he writes this letter, 1 Timothy 2.13. Check this out. I love this. 1 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He says this. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us. Okay, so they came in, the apostles, they preached, right? They gave sermons. You accepted it not as the word of men, but, that, but as it actually is the word of God. Wow. He's saying, hey, guys, we came and we preached and you heard us and you received it. Okay, that word received means to accept. The context is through your ears. Okay, you received it. And then he says something much more powerful. He says this. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. The key in there is that word, you accepted. The word accepted means, basically the word picture is an honored guest or a family member coming into your house and they're welcome. You welcomed joyfully, enthusiastically, lovingly. You welcomed our message into your heart because you received it as a word from who? God. So they heard the message in their ears, in their head. They understood it. But then they went one step further. And they said, you know what? This isn't just Pastor Richie giving another sermon or whoever you listen to on the radio or the TV. Lord, I want to welcome this into my heart. I want to accept this, not as a word from man alone, but what? As a word from who? As a word from God. As a word from God. I had a, a, a friend, my mentor, and uh, pastors, pastors, and he always said this to his congregation. When you come to church, bring a pencil and a paper and be prepared. And when you're listening to the sermon or the message, be prepared to write down what God says to you. And write it down. And then go do that. He has taught his congregation week in and week out that when he preaches the Word of God, you need to be prepared to, be prepared to receive the Word of God from God. Write it down. 
what God is saying to you in application of what the truth He is speaking to who? You. How many of you have ever sat in church and wondered if someone let the cat out to me about your life? How did he know? Dale, did you say something to him? And I'm like, there's a whole lot of you. I don't have time to say, like, hey, Dale, give me the scoop on Ninda. Hey, Thelma, what's up with Diana? I don't do that. I come and I faithfully preach God's word and it's amazing to watch. And sometimes I could see when God said, and Linda will look at Dale. Did you out me? What? And I'm like, no, I didn't know. And that's the moment when you got to write that down. Because it's not just another good sermon or whatever, or bad sermon, whatever kind of sermon you want to label from Pastor Richie or Pastor Chad or Pastor Ron. It's a message that God is bringing through the herald to you. That's where life transformation happens. That's where you're going to start to get it. That's when you're going to leave here and go, man, I'm growing. I'm growing. Well, what do you mean you're growing? Well, God speaks to me every Sunday. I write it down. And then Monday through Saturday, I try my best to apply it. That's what it boils down to, guys. That's what it's about. You know, it's, it's not a, God has called us, you know, in the ministry. It's a heavy weight. It's a huge responsibility to understand that First Thessalonians says, hey, don't just receive it from us, receive it from God. Holy cow, who wants that weight? And so I spend 40, 50, 60 hours making sure to the best of my ability it's right. Because I have to apply it as much as you do. So you get about 30, 35 minutes. I get like 40 hours where God works on me, and I'm like, Lord, really? Okay. We're to apply it. We're to apply it. In fact, I love this, and we'll close with this. James, James, you hear me often say this. We're not just to be hearers, we're to be doers. And in James it says, hey, if you just hear the word and you don't do it, it's like someone who, walk, who looks at themselves in a mirror and goes away and forgets what they see. And I've shared this with you before, because many of you, were talked to today, and many of you immediately obeyed an authority today in your life without even thinking. And you know what that authority was? Your mirror at home. You woke up. You went to the bathroom or wherever your mirror is. And your mirror talked to you today. And it does every day. Perhaps several times a day. And sometimes store window reflections talk to you. Sometimes cars walk, talk to you as you all go by. Some of you, you have a mirror on your phone. Sometimes your phones talk to you, right? What did your mirror say to you this morning? <laughs> you don't want to know. What did your mirror say to you this morning? Oh my gosh, okay. What did your mirror suggest that you do this morning? Okay, comb your hair. Your mirror said comb your hair. What else did your mirror say? Put your makeup on. Shave. Shave. Put some clothes on. Right? Right? Now, now, the crazy thing is we have regular mirrors. And then those of you who really want to get in detail, boom, magnification. Magnification ten times. Right? Because i got to get that detail. Judging by your appearance this morning, you listen to your mirror. 
Thankfully, you all had clothes on. When it said put clothes on, you listened. You brushed your hair. You washed your face. You put makeup on. You shaved. See, our mirrors were trained. It says something to us, and we just respond. We listen to it. You didn't even realize that. Here's the deal. God gave us His Word. Not to ruin your life. Your mirrors are seen in such a positive way at home. You might not like what they say, but you're thankful you have them. Because you know that they're designed for what? Your benefit. To help you. So you don't walk around, oh, hi, day, kind of. What happened to her, right? (laughs) Mirror must be broken, broken, right? (laughs) Do you ever realize that that's God's Word and that's why He gave it to us? John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them, set them apart by your truth. Your Word is truth. Did you ever realize that? God gave you His Word. He gave me His Word so that as we hear it, as we heed it, as we apply it, we are more and more set apart. We are more sanctified for whose benefit? Ours and His. He gets the glory. We get the blessing. John 120, uh, um, James at the end of that passage says, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. So I want to encourage you. When you come, and you hear another sermon. Don't sit back and evaluate it and critique it if it was funny, if it, how it made you feel. Sit down and have a pencil and paper and say, Lord, use this guy to speak truth to me from your word. And what you say to me, I'm going to write down and I'm going to obediently do it in the power of the Holy Spirit just like I listen to my mirror. Because I know you love me and I know that you have given me your word so that I would be more and more sanctified, more and more set apart to the glory of God and conform to the image of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word, your truth. And Lord, it is a heavy responsibility understanding that when we gather that it's really a word from You because it's based on Your word of truth. And so, Lord, my prayer today is that You would speak truth to us again. If we have sort of slid into this man-centered view of sermons, if we've lost our focus, if we've lost our openness to hearing and receiving truth from You, forgive us. And Lord, would You give us a a desire and an enthusiasm to respond to Your Word as much as we do to our mirrors? Would You help us to believe and know in our hearts that You've given us Your Word for our benefit and our blessing, that we would be more and more conformed to the image of Jesus and we would be more and more able to be used by You for Your kingdom? So, Lord, thank you for your word, your truth. And as we now prepare for communion, we're reminded, Jesus, that you say you are the truth. And then in knowing you, we are set free. Free from works. Free from trying to earn our salvation. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. 
So Jesus, we're reminded as we take communion that when we place our faith in You as our Savior and Lord, we are saved. And that's the truth. And then we're set free from the penalty of sin. We're set free from the power of sin. And ultimately we're going to be set free from the presence of sin. But Jesus, we're set free to love You and love one another. So in this time of communion, as we hold the cups, we just hold them as tangible reminders of what You did for us at Calvary, what You did for us on the cross. If you never put your faith in Jesus alone as your Savior, you can do that at this very moment. Just believe on Christ. Believe that He paid the penalty for your sins that you could never pay, could never be good enough, you can never earn, because it's already been accomplished by Jesus on the cross. And by faith, you rest in His finished work alone.